Hallelujah. Well, last week, in the beginning of chapter 20, so last week, Jesus rose from the dead. Well, not actually last week. It was 2,000 years ago, <laughs> thereabouts. But we studied it last week. Amen? Amen. And uh, you remember that Mary and some of the other ladies uh, uh, were the first to arrive and find him missing, find the tomb or the, the stone rolled back, the tomb was empty. And John just mentions Mary, but the other Gospels, we know that there was a few other ladies that were with her and they, they, they think that Jesus' body is stolen, so they run to go tell the disciples. And then Peter and John, after hearing the news, they rush towards the tomb and, and they see with their own eyes that, yes, that, that Jesus' body is gone. He's not where he was laid. And you remember they just saw the grave cloths uh, folded there where Jesus' body would have been laid. However, John notices something and it causes him to believe. You see, he understands that Jesus' body wasn't stolen. He, he begins to believe and understand that, no, Jesus had risen from the dead. But they didn't know what to do. It's funny, it's such an abrupt statement. It says, John believed, and they went home. It's probably because they just didn't know what to do. They're like, all right, like, we, we don't know what the next step is. We're just going to head on home. At least we know he's not, he's, he's not dead. He's, he's risen again. But then Mary stays at the tomb, and she's weeping because apparently they didn't feel the need to tell her that they, <laughs> they noticed something different. So she's at the tomb weeping. She sees that her, that her Lord's body has been stolen, and she's crying. She's upset. And then some angels show up and say, what are you weeping for? which we thought was a crazy question because she's at a graveyard. What do you think she's weeping for? And then Jesus shows up and says, Mary, what are you weeping for? And she thinks he's the gardener. And he's like, she's like, listen, if you've taken his body, which I thought was funny because he was the one that had Jesus' body, being Jesus and all. So he is the one that has Jesus' body. But then he, she says, Mary, and she recognizes him. And then we also see that after this, from the other Gospels, Jesus makes an appearance to two other disciples on their road to Emmaus. And he walks with them for most of the day, and they don't even recognize it's him. The Scripture says that their eyes were blinded. So for some reason, they couldn't tell it was Jesus. And then at the end, when they finally see that it's him, they go and run and tell the other disciples. And then even though the ladies had told the disciples they had seen the angels, even though they told them that they had spoken to Jesus, the disciples apparently still didn't know what to do next. Matter of fact, we'll find out in a second that they were actually told uh, to go to Galilee and wait for Jesus there, but they didn't. The beginning of this journey is a whole bunch of the disciples not doing what Jesus told them to do. I think uh, after we... Uh, uh, finish this study. We'll probably spend a couple months just doing uh, uh, topical messages, but then I think we're going to dive into the book of Acts for our next study. And you're going to see that, that the disciples at first still don't do what Jesus says, and, and severe persecution has to come in to actually get them to go out and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what we find here is that the, the disciples, they're still, they're, they don't know what to do, and they're afraid of the Jews, so they go and lock themselves behind closed doors. They're hiding in a room from the Jews because they're afraid of them. And that's where we're going to find them this morning as we start in chapter 19. Hiding behind locked doors when Jesus all of a sudden shows up and makes an appearance to all of them. 
John chapter 20, verse 19 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so this is still the day that Jesus arose, but it's the nighttime now. The doors being locked where the uh, yeah, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, "Peace be with you." So like I said, the disciples not really knowing what to do next, being afraid of the Jews, find themselves behind locked doors. An entire, the entirety of the day has passed since Jesus rose, since, since John and Peter had made their way to the tomb. And they must have been in there. Actually, I say they must have been, but we know that this is what they were doing from the other Gospels. They're in there discussing what had happened, the crazy events that had so far happened this day. They're talking about the, the women that came and said, hey, they told us they saw the angels at the tomb. Peter and John had visited the empty tomb, and John even came away believing Mary had spoken Jesus to the... Can you imagine what's going on in this room? I wonder if there was excitement, if there was fear. There's obviously some confusion. They don't know what to do. They're, they're still afraid of the Jews. We find that a couple of this, uh, disciples, not the apostles, but a couple of other disciples had, had walked with Jesus on their way to Emmaus. And at some point, Jesus had even appeared to Peter before this happened. Luke 24, 32 through 34, it says, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So we know at some point, even Simon has seen Jesus. So Mary's seen Jesus, Simon has seen Jesus. These two disciples, they shared their testimony, how they had walked and been taught by Jesus, and then they actually came to know that it was Jesus. And then for Matthew's gospel, we know that the angels told the ladies to go tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee. Matthew 28, 7 says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. But for some reason, they're just talking about it in a room with the doors locked, afraid of the Jews. And it's funny, we, we can look at these stories, and I think if we're not careful, it's really easy for us to go, what are these disciples doing? I mean, look at all this stuff that they have. All this information. That, why are they sitting there in this room? Why aren't they tearing the world up? Why aren't they heading to Galilee? I mean, what are they doing? Why are they afraid? It's so easy for us, to, in hindsight, when we know the whole story, to say that. But we forget that we weren't there. We forget that an entire Roman battalion, 600 men, showed up when the Jewish leaders arrested Jesus. We forget that the disciples were almost arrested that night. And I don't know about you, but like, if a couple police officers come to my door to arrest me, I'm probably a little bit nervous. But if the entire National Guard shows up to arrest me, I, I, I'm going to be a bit concerned. <laughs> we forget that after this happened, Jesus was just brutally murdered, and the disciples likely thought that they were next. So before we're too critical, we should also remember, even with all the hindsight, even with all the, the knowledge that we have, even with the complete revelation of who Jesus is in the Scripture, how often we still don't listen to what Jesus says. 
So they're hiding in this room. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears in front of them. You know, before I get started on that point, one of the things that I, I like to, when I see this stuff too, is the, the New Testament writers are never shy about showing the failures and the weaknesses of the apostles and the men. Did you know that that's one of the, the greatest evidences of the trustworthiness of the scriptures? You know, if I was writing a story and I was the hero of the story, you wouldn't see any of the bad parts in it. I would never mess up. I would always do things right. But when we see this, the reason why we see these things is because they're not stories. They're just telling what happened. These are historical documents that are recording what actually happened. So we get to see their failures. We get to see their weaknesses. And I, for one, am grateful because I have plenty of failures and plenty of weaknesses. And I'm glad to know that God can still use me because he used them who had all the same weaknesses and failures. These weren't super saints. These weren't somehow uh, super special people because of their gifting and their ability. They were just regular people that decided to trust Jesus and they had faults and flaws just like me. And if God can use them, then God can use me, amen? And God can use you. But then we have, like I said, Jesus suddenly appears in their midst and he says, peace be with you. And this is interesting because we know that the doors were locked. It seems that in his new resurrected body, it's not limited the same way as our human bodies are, or even as his body was before he was resurrected. It appears that he's able to pass through locked doors. It appears that physical obstacles are no longer a barrier to him. They no longer impede him anymore. I think that's pretty cool. And then he says to them, peace be with you. And if, if you know, this is just kind of a standard Hebrew greeting. It's a greeting that they've heard over and over and over again throughout their entire lives. Probably thousands of times they've heard it. But now, it has some deeper meaning to it. How many of you know that when Jesus rises from the dead and he shows up and says, peace, with you, peace be with you, there's a little more to it than him just saying hi. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, this wasn't just a quaint greeting. They literally had peace with them at that moment when Jesus shows up. You know that you do too? If we go on in verse 20, it says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Even though Jesus' glorified body was not the same as before, right? At, the, at this point, it can, it can pass through walls. Its appearance was still grounded in who he was. 
it was still grounded in and really who he was right before he died because he was able to show them the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his sides. The disciples were able to recognize that it was Jesus, so he still looked like Jesus, and he still had the wounds, so there, 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 there's a difference in his resurrected body, but there's some similarities as well. It's still grounded in who he was. And I imagine that Jesus showing up threw them off a little bit. You know, it's one thing hearing that Jesus is still alive and that he showed himself to other people. It's a whole other thing for Jesus to show up and start talking to you. I don't think it would be much different for us today. We all believe that Jesus is alive, but it would hit us different if he just walked inside the room. I'm leaving the doors unlocked for him, but it would still hit us different. And even though Peter had seen Jesus already, the others hadn't, and all they'd heard about us from other people. And in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, we can see that they actually thought Jesus was a ghost. He was a spirit or an apparition or something. Luke 24, 36 through 37 says, as they were talking about these things, this is how we know that they were talking about all this stuff throughout the day. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So to demonstrate that he was real, he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a spirit, he wasn't an apparition, he wasn't their imagination, he wasn't any of those things, he showed his hands and his sides. He says, look guys, I'm really here. This is really my body. Look, you can see where they drove the nails. Look, you can see where they stabbed me in the side. So after they realized that Jesus wasn't a spirit, he was actually physically there in the room with him, in the flesh, so to speak. They rejoiced and were glad. You know, we see stuff like this and, and it probably just brushes right over our head. They rejoiced and were glad. Well, of course they were. That would be awesome. They thought their, their Lord was dead. But we forget that Jesus said these things would happen. John 16, 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. Just what Jesus said would happen, would happen. They saw the Lord and they rejoiced and they were glad. And then in verse 20 through, uh, verse 21 through 23, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. I wonder if he had to say it again because they were all so shocked and didn't know what was going on. No, guys, I'm really here. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So now we find that Jesus is commissioning his disciples. This is the, uh, the great commission. Although... For many Christians, it's the great omission in their life. And we get a longer description. And in John, it's rather brief. He just says, I was sent, I'm going to send you. But in the other Gospels, we get a longer description. Matthew 28, 16-20 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make all disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always." 
Luke 24, 45 through 49 says, And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to the name in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We get to see more details of what Jesus is actually going to be sending his disciples out to do, just as the Father had sent Jesus on a mission to accomplish his will and his purpose. Now Jesus was sending the apostles and the rest of the disciples to do the same. The time for hiding behind locked doors had come to an end. They were on a mission. And then Jesus breathes on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus breathed on them right now, it was a, uh, it was a picture of when God breathed into Adam. You see, when God formed Adam, he was just a lump. He wasn't alive until God breathed into him. And when God breathed into him, he breathed life into him. And Adam became alive. But then Adam sinned. And from that day forward, every single one of us has been born dead. And the picture that we see here is Jesus breathing life into into them again. Breathing as the Holy Spirit enters them. And they are brought to life once again, this is the miracle of salvation. You were once dead, but now you are alive. When you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, a miracle takes place. The old man is dead and gone and is replaced with a new man. The Spirit of God inside you. But if you're keen... You may have heard me just read from Luke a second ago. And it says, You are the witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Now, if you know what happens there, this is Pentecost. This is the, when the, the, the Holy Spirit comes down on them and rests on them, and they have tongues of fire that begin speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. It fills them. They start operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This event that, is, that happens there is actually the event of being baptized in the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. And... We see in this event, when the, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they began speaking in, in, in other tongues. And the Scripture doesn't actually say that they spoke in the language of other people. The Scripture says the other people heard them in their own languages. And we know that they were speaking in an unintelligible language because a little while later, it says, listen to them, they're all drunk. Because to everyone else, it sounded like gibberish, except for those who could understand them in their own language. And speaking in tongues is just one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a separate event than receiving the Holy Spirit when you get saved. And we can see this because the disciples here received the Holy Spirit in salvation when Jesus had not yet ascended to the Father. This is after his resurrection, but he has not yet ascended. But the day of Pentecost, that happened after Jesus ascended because he had to ascend before he could send the Holy Spirit back down to give them power. So we see that these are two separate events. And I know a lot of people are afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're afraid of moving in the Spirit because for many people, some of these things seem weird. But the truth is, is that the Scripture says that we should desire even the greater gifts. Prophecy. We should be being obedient and operating in these gifts, being willing to let the Spirit move through us. So sometimes we're just going to have to step out in faith and stop being afraid. Amen? And then he goes on to say to them, if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them, and if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now this, at first glance, seems like an odd statement. Because God is the only one that can forgive sins. And it seems like Jesus is saying, well, now you guys have the ability to forgive sins. But the reality is, is that authority rests alone and alone in God. But what we do have the authority to do is proclaim the forgiveness of sins and proclaim the unforgiveness of sins. And the reason being is because we now know the requirements thereof. So let me give you an example. If someone comes up to you and they say, yeah, I know I've sinned, but I'm basically a good person. I'm living my life in such a way that all my good deeds will hopefully someday outweigh my bad deeds. I figure I did something really bad, but if I do enough good things, then that should make up for it. I'm going to go ahead and atone for my failure on my own. Then we have the right to say, no, your sins are not forgiven. And if somebody comes up to you and says, I've sinned, I've messed up, and I recognize there's nothing I can do it on my own, and I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins because he died on the cross for me. He died to pay the penalty for my sin. He died to suffer the suffering that I should have served. I put my trust in him, and I receive his free gift of salvation. We can proclaim that your sins are forgiven. This isn't free reign for them just to do it however they want. This is them to tell them how it is. We don't get to choose who is forgiven and who is not forgiven. We get to, to proclaim the reality of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. We know the criteria and we can declare it to the world. So the disciples in this room, and us by extension, have the great privilege of announcing the good news and of how to receive the forgiveness of sins. We get to declare that to the world. And it's amazing how many people still reject that free gift. Last, uh, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> Joseph uh, mentioned in his message that it's a tragedy when people don't respond to the gospel and they reject it. And I agree 100%. It's so simple. And it's all based on God's love. But so many reject it. And it's heartbreaking. 
As we continue on in verses 24 through 25, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. We're beginning to see the beginning of the transformation of these men who went from being completely crushed, their world rocked, their leader killed. And we're starting to see the transformation of these men transforming from disbelief into belief. Their faith is starting to grow, and we're going to see, especially as we go into the book of Acts, how they begin to change the world. We even get to hear stuff said about them. Look, these men who have turned the world upside down are here also. That's what I want to be said about me. I'm one, I want to be said about me that I'm one of the men that turned the world upside down because I'm sharing the gospel. But we're seeing that transformation right now. And it seems that when Jesus showed up just a few moments ago, Thomas wasn't in the room with them. And Thomas actually kind of gets a bad rap. Everyone knows him as Doubting Thomas. But when Thomas finally shows up, they share with him the good news. They say, listen, we saw him. He rose from the dead. He breathed on us. Gave us the Holy Spirit. We're saved. We're forgiven. The lady saw the angels. Like, we have all these witnesses. But Thomas is unconvinced. And they must have argued back. Like, what do you mean? We saw him. Don't you trust us? Don't you believe us? We saw him. He was here. And Thomas says, nope. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to believe it. So I see the wounds in his hands and I put my... Does anybody else think that's kind of weird? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he, he doesn't just say, I need to see him. He wants to stick his fingers in him. <laughs> I, maybe it's an expression thing. I don't know. It seems weird to me. But anyway, he says, I'm basically, I need to be convinced. Right. That could be a sticker. I need to feel it to make sure it's three-dimensional. But yeah, they, they, argued, they must have argued back. But, but in order for Thomas to believe, he wanted to see him. And like I said, I think Thomas gets a bad rap because they call him Doubting Thomas, right? And the truth is, is that Thomas isn't the only one that had doubts. Matthew 28, 16 through 17 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. <laughs> Thomas wasn't the only one. The truth is, the only person that is recorded in believing that Jesus rose from the dead without seeing Jesus was John, the disciple Jesus. Right? He looked into the tomb, saw the, the, probably saw the burial cloth, and then it says he believed. Everybody else had to wait to see Jesus before they started believing. So really, it's not doubting Thomas, it's the doubting disciples, except for, for John. It's unfortunate that he's the only one that gets recorded as doing this, probably because he's the loud, bolsterous ones. But they all doubt it. And I wonder if they argued with him. But we've seen. But you didn't see, you didn't believe until you saw personally. Why can't I have the same thing? 
So then eight days later after this, verse 26 through 28, it says his disciples were inside again. In the, inside, hiding behind locked doors still. A week later, and Thomas was with them. And all the door, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. It's a little over a week later. The disciples still haven't departed on their mission. They find themselves behind locked doors, probably still afraid of the Jews. And then once again, Jesus just shows up. Locked doors aren't an issue for him. He can just be where he wants to be. But the difference is this time, he speaks directly to Thomas. You see, previously he spoke to the other disciples. This time it says that he's going to speak directly to Thomas. And, and Jesus shows up, his body not worrying about doors. He can just make his way through. But like we said, even though his, his glorified body is different, it's still the same in some ways as well. It's still a physical body. He was not a spirit. And this is evidenced by the fact that Thomas could actually feel his body. And then Jesus, after... Thomas does it. He touched the wounds in his hands and in his side. He tells Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. And as soon as this happened, Thomas no longer doubted. You see, everyone wants to dwell on, on Thomas's doubting. They forget that he starts believing. He doesn't stay. He's not doubting Thomas. He's believing Thomas. He was all in. And he declares that Jesus is his Lord and his God. It always amuses me <laughs> when people say, the Bible never says Jesus was God. Amongst all the other evidence, much of which we've talked about through this study in the book of John, because the, the whole gospel of John makes it quite, quite clear, Thomas just flat out says it. Thomas answered who? Jesus, my Lord and my God. He's referring to Jesus as his God. And you know what doesn't happen? Jesus doesn't correct him. The reality is, is that Jesus is God. He was truly God. He was truly man. And then Jesus kind of rebukes Thomas a little bit. In verse 29, it says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now I praise God that Thomas no longer doubted. Like I said, we should stop calling him Doubting Thomas because in the end he was believing Thomas. And even though Jesus makes this special trip, it seems like it's just for Thomas, he still uses it as a teaching moment. It's funny because... Jesus extends grace to him. He meets him where he's at. But Jesus never lets you stay where you're at when he meets you there. There's an expectation of growth, an expectation of moving forward. You see, Thomas had already had all the information that he needed to believe. He had been told when Jesus was alive before he died and was resurrected, he had been told that he must die and rise again. Jesus told him that it was going to happen. And then he had 
the testimony of all the other disciples. He knew the tomb was empty. He had the testimony of the ladies who had seen the angels and seen Jesus. He had the testimony of all the other disciples who had seen Jesus. He had all the information that he needed to believe. Yet he still doubted and wanted to see Jesus personally. So Jesus makes a point and says, you know what? It's good that you believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I've always not really understood who Jesus was talking to in this moment, if I'm being honest. Because really, all the ones that were there, they got to see Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus shows himself to hundreds of disciples. So if you were alive in that moment, you had a pretty good chance of seeing Jesus if you were a disciple. But when you look at what's happening today, this is especially true for us. Jesus understood that there would be millions of believers throughout history who wouldn't have the same opportunity, and we would be blessed when we believe in him, even though we don't get to put our fingers in his, the wounds in his hand or in the wounds in his side. Jesus makes a point to say that we're blessed. Even though we won't get to see his body in the same way. And the truth is, guys, like even if Jesus showed up right now, it wouldn't be the same because this is his pre-ascended body. Jesus has now ascended. He's no longer at least the way he was right then. So we don't have that opportunity, but we still have all the proof, all the evidence that we need to put our trust in him. We have God's written word pointing to his son. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus. We have the recorded testimony of all of those who saw Jesus rise from the dead. You say, well, Pastor Wayne, those could be lies. You know, when, when all these things were written, when the New Testament was written, every book in the New Testament that says that he showed himself to the 500, he showed himself to the disciples, when these were released, everybody was still alive that was there. If it wasn't true, we would have evidence that they're saying that these guys are all a bunch of liars. It's not like they, these were released like 100 years later and nobody could recant them. These were released when the people who were there were still alive. And it's never, uh, it's never documented anyway in any other writings, uh, secular, non-secular. It doesn't matter. No one ever says that these guys were liars. Matter of fact, all the, all the writings that we do see says that these guys believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So that we have the testimony of these men and the, 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 the textual and historical evidence seems to show that, that, that what they wrote is what happened. So we have that evidence. And these are first-hand accounts. These aren't multi-generational. These aren't like, you know, my great-great-great-great-grandfather was Peter and he saw Jesus. This is, this is the disciple. This is John saying, hey, I saw him. And we have a multitude of other evidence, some of which I've shared with you as we've studied the Scriptures, this Gospel of John. And then on top of that, we have the testimony of the lives of saints throughout history who have had their lives changed by the power of the Gospel. We have everything that we need to be able to confidently put our trust in Jesus Christ. And those of us who do so are blessed. Amen. And then we'll end here in verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John finishes his gospel. We actually have one more chapter that Pastor Joseph will will, uh, share with us next week. But as John's wrapping up his gospel, he says, you know what, this is only a portion of the miracles that Jesus did in front of his disciples. When he says that this is just a portion of the miracles, you can read that is, is that this is just a portion of the evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And we have the benefit of being able to learn of some of the other events by reading the other Gospels. The Gospels have 35 miracles recorded that Jesus did. But John only focuses and highlights seven of them. But John did record these particular ones, the ones that he picked and highlighted, so that those who read them, not only those disciples in those days, but also us, would be able to believe that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus was the Son of God. And that those of us who would believe in him would have eternal life. This means that John believed that what he recorded was enough for us to believe. If all we had was John's gospel, that would be enough for us to believe. And I thank God we have even more than that. People call Christians crazy for having blind faith. They say blind faith is stupid. And I agree, blind faith is stupid, but I don't have that. I am confident in my faith because there is plenty of evidence that what the Bible says is true. John's goal was to lead people towards faith in Jesus for their salvation the only name under which men could be saved. And we have everything we need right here to put our trust in him. Amen.